of Corbett Report Radio with your host, the one and only James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, broadcasting to you tonight, as every night, all the way from my living room here in the sunny climes of western Japan. So thank you for joining us tonight. And stop the presses. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop thinking about anything else. You won't believe the news that has just broken. Yes, yes, my friends, it's difficult to believe, but an ethnic minority newspaper in the United States has actually written an editorial, an op-ed, calling for the assassination of a, any U.S. president that does not go in favor of their, their homeland. That any U.S. president that, that proposes any policy that they find unfavorable would then deem that president worthy of assassination. Yes, indeed, friends, this newspaper actually spells it out in black and white. It was published earlier this month, and you will not believe the political reverberations that will be resounding through the halls of the UN Security Council and other corridors of power as the officials wrestle over what to do about this new terroristic threat that has just been issued. Oh, wait, wait. This was in the Atlanta Jewish Times? Oh, okay, then. N- never mind. Go back to your whatever you're doing. Yes, friends, that's right. The Atlanta Jewish Times earlier this month actually published a- an op-ed in which the owner and publisher, Andrew B. Adler, wrote an op-ed opinion piece saying that if uh, any U.S. president goes against the uh, the wishes of Israel, well, that as president should at least, the, the option to assassinate that president should be on the table for Mossad. And this was proposed in the Atlanta Jewish Times in the January 13th, 2012 edition. You can't make this stuff up, and uh, it almost caused no brouhaha whatsoever in the American uh, media. In fact, as far as I know, only AP picked it up in the United States, and uh, it was picked up widely in foreign um, media. Even the Brits and all sorts of other uh, newspapers and and, uh, websites had something about this uh, pretty amazing story. But for some reason, it just didn't get much attention in the U.S. And can you imagine, can you even begin to imagine if Press TV or, or, or Russia Today or someone else aired some, something equivalent to this, saying that, well, maybe Russia should have the option of assassinating U.S. presidents if, if they're not working in Russia's best interests. Can you imagine what the response would be? Can you imagine if Tehran came out with something like this or the Iranian community in, in Atlanta came out with, with some suggestion that the U.S. president should be assassinated for talking bad about Ahmadinejad? Well, we'd be at war with Iran by the evening, and there would be no shortage of people saluting the red, white, and blue and hailing all of the, uh, the loving bombs that we were sending over to the Middle East because... Well, by gum, if, if, if they t- talk that way about our president, well, we've got to get him. But here it is in black and white, Andrew B. Adler advocating the assassination of the U.S. president with almost nary a, a, a mention in the media. And uh, as a ba- ba- fallout and backlash of what happened there, eventually he did uh, have to resign, and he's put the paper up for sale, apparently. So, so there was some backlash about it. But again, the fact that this type of thing can be written about in black and white, and doesn't, doesn't, it's not even that he doesn't get a, a, a visit from the Secret Service like anyone else would, even theoretically proposing an assassination of a president, but, uh, but the fact that there was hardly any backlash at all, I think, speaks to the incredible double standards of the times that we're living in. And uh, there was an excellent article that breaks down what this was all about and why it's important from antiwar.com that I'll direct you all to if you want to find out more about this. It's under the headline, Israeli Assassinations and American Presidents. And it goes into some of the background and the context and the history 
about Israel and their threats against the U.S. government and how they're blithely overlooked and the, uh, everyone looks the other way when Israel does it. So we'll go through a little bit of that and some of the other headlines tonight as we go around the world in search of the latest breaking news and information. So I hope you'll hang on for that. And, of course, James Evan Pilato with Food World Order in the second half of tonight's broadcast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Corbett Report Radio. I am the president, President Jimmy Carter. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Of course, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here. And at, like every Thursday night, we're going around the world and breaking down the latest news and headlines for you on this Thursday night broadcast. And later on, we'll be joined by James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com to go over food, health, and environment issues. And as always, there's wide open phone lines. Any topic that you're that's on your mind that you'd like to get in on, 1-800-313-9443. Call 1-800-313-9443, and we can get you on the broadcast to share your thoughts. But we're starting with this article from antiwar.com, breaking down a really remarkable story that very few people heard about because it was uh, completely and utterly obscured and just completely glossed over in the corporate media. So uh, here we go, antiwar.com, January 25th, 2012, Israeli assassinations and American presidents. On January 13th, the Atlanta Jewish Times featured a column by its owner-publisher suggesting that Israel might someday need to order a hit on the President of the United States. In the column, publisher Andrew Adler describes a scenario in which Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu would need to give the go-ahead for U.S.-based Mossad agents to take out a president deemed unfriendly to Israel. The purpose? So that the Vice President could then take office and dictate U.S. policies that would help the Jewish state obliterate its enemies. Adler wrote that it is highly likely that the idea has been discussed in Israel's most inner circles. And so I will leave you to explore the rest of that uh, article for yourself. And in fact, the the actual uh, opinion piece itself has been immortalized online, at least for the time being, until the authorities decide that everything is copyright infringement and decide to start closing down domains willy-nilly, but for the time being, it's up on documentcloud.org. So after tonight's broadcast, you can go to corporatereport.com slash radio and get the show notes for tonight's episode, and it will have the link in there so you can go and read it for yourself and read absolutely in black and white. And Ruby Adler, owner-publisher of the Atlanta Jewish Times, basically saying that, well, you know, Netanyahu might have to make the call and assassinate an American president in the future if they refuse to bomb Iran to kingdom come. So, again, just a, a pretty remarkable story that, of course, would be an international incident if it was someone like uh, an Iranian call, calling for that. But since it's uh, an Israeli or an Israeli-friendly uh, person living in the United States, well, well, then it's okay. Let's just gloss over it. But that article at antiwar.com is good specifically because it goes and it goes through quite a bit of, uh, of the history and background to this idea. So not only talking about uh, the Levon affair in the 1950s or the sinking of liberty in the 60s or talking about um, in 2003 it coming out that, uh, that Israeli leaders had officially decided to undertake assassinations in the U.S. And uh, the FBI said, well, that's a policy matter. We only enforce federal laws. Another incredible stories like that that, of course, just do not get reported on. So 
pretty amazing story and one that it would behoove us all to look into and to see how easily those types of headlines can be buried under the whatever false and phony, ridiculous uh, nonsense they want to uh, to put in our face and dangle in front of us if it's, as if it's really important. Like uh, a story I saw today about, oh, did you see Hillary Clinton? She brought back her hair bands for the uni- State of the Union address. Oh, let's all talk about that obsessively because it's just so important to our lives. Well, at any rate, uh, you can tie that story into the recent closing of uh, Press TV uh, in Britain. The UK government has decided that Press TV can no no longer operate in Britain, so they've uh, they've been closed down. So, so once again, we see the government just consolidating its uh, media cronies behind it and uh, making sure that uh, anyone who disagrees is uh, safely uh, taken out of the country. Exactly as uh, as happens in every war, the first pr- the first victim is uh, the truth, as we all know. At any rate, moving along to another really incredible story. I can't believe this story, but it's it's right there in black and white again. Just an incredibly big story by Aaron Dykes at Infowars. Shock Docs: Total Federalization of Police under New Homeland Security Mission. And this story goes into the mission creep that's associated with Homeland Security. And uh, a new policy proposal from the Aspen Institute, headed by none other than former DHS Chief Michael Chertoff, Mr. Skeletor himself. And uh, there's an appropriately creepy picture of him accompanying this article. And uh, talking about this this incredible document that they've come out with, Homeland Security and Intelligence, Next Steps in Involving the Mission. So we'll just read the first couple paragraphs here. It says, A new white paper presented to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence carves out an evolving mission for homeland security that moves away from fighting terrorism and towards growing a vast domestic intelligence apparatus that would expand integration with local state agencies and private-public partnerships already underway via regional fusion centers. And it says significantly it puts on a paper and into the congressional record a proposed transition from outwardly dealing with the threats posed by terrorism towards intelligence gathering focused on more specific homeward-focused areas, that is, homegrown domestic threats we've heard so much about from Big Sis already. And again, you just can't even imagine it until you actually go and read it and and see some of the quotes from here, but basically they're talking about how the terrorism threat, well, there's so many agencies dealing with terrorism now, does the Department of Homeland Security really need to deal with that so much? We can start to get more into this, you know, domestic uh, insurgent groups that we've been talking about all this time. So here it is. I mean, we've been talking about it for years. We've been seeing it happen for years where they've slowly been steering the uh, the vehicle of the, the state that's been wielded and, and pointed at this so-called al-Qaeda boogeyman terrorist threat. But since they've, of course, uh, ridden Osama bin Laden and the, uh, the boogeyman out of the script uh, conveniently in the last year or two, now they need to start really in taking all of that machinery, all of those gears of the state, all of that weaponry, all of that stuff that they've been accruing and amassing for the past decade, and finally, just out in the open, turn it back towards the American people. As we know, it's always been planned to be uh, wielded in that way and pointed in that direction, but they uh, they just needed to roll out the big PR event for, for all of the people who just uh, watch the headlines and, and see the news play out that way. And that's exactly what 9-11 was. It was just a piece in this big puzzle of turning the entire uh, security apparatus of the states and building it up at, for, at first and then wheeling it against the uh, the American people themselves. So that's what we're seeing right now out in the open is, uh, with this remarkable document that, again, I really hope you'll go and follow the link from this to go read the original document and 
find out what people are saying about it. And of course, the uh, the mainstream media in the United States is just reporting on it as if, oh, it's nothing, nothing really big, you know, just a just a, com- a complete change in direction, just a total 180 degree, total about face of everything that we were told that Homeland Security was all about. And, uh, and uh, you know, whatever. And what's next in the news is basically the way it's being treated in a lot of the uh, the mainstream media. So, once again, if you're not keeping your eye on the ball and if you're not looking behind the headlines, you're probably not seeing the story. And on that note, we have an extremely interesting story from endthelie.com from our friend Madison Rupert, who, of course, has been a guest on this program a couple of times in the past. He's got a, uh, a new editorial out, UN asked to probe conspiracy to block investigations into illegal killings and torture. And it starts out by saying, recently two legal rights groups requested that the United Nations conduct an investigation into allegations targeting officials in the United States and Spain who reportedly conspired to block criminal probes into the authorization of illegal killings and torture of suspected terrorists during the Bush administration. The request was made by the Center for Constitutional Rights, based out of New York, along with the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights out of Berlin. According to McClatchy, the request was made to the United Nations Special Rapporteur for Judicial Independence. The two groups say that the United States interfered with the Spanish justice system in three separate criminal cases, and they asked the UN to demand that both the Spanish and American governments cease their meddling in court cases. And this is a, I mean, this is an incredible story in so many different ways. But uh, but for anyone who's been following this, of course, uh, they, they would know that Spanish prosecutors have been attempting to, to prosecute Americans uh, for their part in taking uh, part in torture and and uh, other, you know, uh, heinous crimes, uh, international crimes uh, throughout the Bush administration. And, of course, uh, not just stopping with Bush, but that's the, when the Spain, the, Span, the Spaniards were trying to get it. Uh, prosecuted, and for anyone who was following it, yeah, basically the the uh, U- the U.S. stepped in and and made some deals, and the uh, the prosecutions were dropped, and now now we have the Center for Constitutional Rights apparently going to the U.N. to try to get some some sort of uh, justice here, which again is just part of that false solution that they also love to pump out. Uh, it's like, well, if the U.S. is failing, and uh, if, if Spain can't get any justice at that level, well. We must need some sort of international body to coordinate this because that's the only way we can get anything done. So, so it just leaves people hoping and hankering for more and more control at the international level. And lo and behold, they already have their apparatus of global governmental control slotted into place and ready to go as soon as the people open their arms and say, please take us world government. You're so loving. You can do anything. You can prosecute these criminals. And, of course, we know it'll never end up that way, and the UN is not just a, a, an ineffectual body, but that it's actually, of course, just the uh, the harbinger of uh, global government to come. And when global government does come, I'm sure it will look nothing like the UN looks in this day and age, but that's just the uh, the cover that they use in this day and age to try to try to make everything, give give it this international sheen, this gloss of, oh, it's, it's a big international august institution and trying to build up its credibility and saying, oh, the U.N. will save us from these dastardly Americans. So, again, that's just part of the entire war on terror game that's been playing out. But uh, I thought, as a side note to that, this uh, headline from Blacklisted News is especially apropos. Cocaine accidentally sent to U.N. headquarters. Bags containing 16 kilograms of cocaine that Mexican drug traffickers recently lost has turned up in an unlikely place, the United Nations in New York. Two fake U.N. bags containing the drugs, which experts said had a street value of about $2 million, 
set off a security alert when they were delivered, apparently by accident, to the global body's headquarters. So whatever the real story behind that story is, uh, it's still kind of funny and uh, and perhaps telling in a way, even if it's not really uh, shenanigans were involved. But at any rate, it does go to the heart of what the UN is really about. It's just a place for crooks to conspire at an international level and, uh, and conspire in a way that they could never do in just national governments. And that's the real fear of global government and why we have to oppose it. At any rate, we'll come back right after this. We've got one caller waiting on the line, so we'll go to him right after this. And once again, please stay tuned for Corbett Report Radio. All right, friends, welcome back. We are here on Corbett Report Radio on this Thursday evening going over the headlines and preparing for James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com, who's coming up in the next segment, so don't touch that dial. But uh, first, we'll go to a couple of the callers waiting patiently on the line, and we have uh, Werner from New Brunswick, who's on the line again. Werner, thanks for joining us tonight. What's on your mind? Uh, good evening. Uh, early in the program, you mentioned there about this uh, Atlanta, the uh, fellow... Uh, Right, the Atlanta Jewish Times, Andrew Adler. Yeah, and, uh, Andrew Adler. And as I say, you know, there's already a history. Uh, I mentioned that uh, about a week ago, uh, in 1952, uh, the uh, Mossad tried to assassinate, uh, at the time, the uh, German head of state, Adolf, uh, Konrad Adenauer. But uh, the uh, basically the uh, German government, they... Uh, you know, played it low because they didn't want to inflame anti, any anti-Jewish uh, sentiments within the country. Exactly right. And, of course, they'll, they'll always hide behind what happened in World War II and, and basically say that that makes the entire country completely immune to absolutely anything that, they, that their citizens or, or people in their purview do for the rest of recorded history, I suppose. I mean, should we just uh, not prosecute the crimes if they're committed by Israelis? I, I don't understand the, the mentality here. Well, as I say, uh, uh, five of the subjects they got uh, they got apprehended by French police, but then the uh, police let them go. Somebody told them to let them go. And uh, you mentioned the uh, Chatov. I just uh, just uh, googled up his uh, his background. It might be of interest. You know, basically his family uh, they came from southern Russia, and uh, his uh, his grandfather was a scholar in uh, the uh, Talmudic scholar. That's exactly right. Yes, absolutely. And um, I say something rubs off somewhere. <laughs> you know, most of the time it doesn't uh, disappear within one generation. You know, some of it sticks to uh, to the next falling, uh, in the next few generations. Well, the worst part is this is a coordinated plan, and it's been, I mean, the Department of Homeland Security has certainly been, from its very inception, absolutely planned and coordinated to be an instrument of terrorism, state terrorism uh, against the, the population. And we see that from the very founding of the Department of Homeland Security, and apparently one of the people who were advising um, the, the DHS and its setup from its very inception was a uh, former Stasi, uh, the, the former head of the Stasi, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, uh, there are some documents on that online that I'll put into the uh, show notes so that people can take a look at that. But uh, but again, it doesn't really surprise anyone who knows what the DHS is really all about. Well, basically, uh, you know, uh, at the present time, they sent the hound of war out to devastate all uh, other countries and uh, kill other head of states and so. And uh, but uh, sooner or later, those hounds of war they come home and they want to have a job. 
So, well, that's the point, unfortunately, yes. I mean, it all comes back to roost. So even people who, who wrap themselves in the flag, whether that's the Israeli flag or the American flag or whatever it is, and get behind every uh, illegal act and, and say, well, it's our side, so it's good, well, that will always come home, and it will always uh, find a way to come back to you. So, that's it. It's home to roost. Exactly. And, exactly uh, right. Uh, the matter don't send out any more chickens. Yeah, that's that's the moral of the story, isn't it? Keep your chickens at home. Yeah. All right, excellent. Yeah. The German head of state, Angela Merkel, I understood a while ago she had a pretty close call, uh, you know, with a helicopter. I hadn't heard anything about that. And uh, it nearly crashed or something, you know, and uh, really? uh, they figured that it was uh, pretty suspicious. Well, we know that uh, that politicians are always under the threat of, uh, of getting rubbed out if they ever step out of line, and certainly Merkel has uh, has been playing into the European crisis uh, quite well. So I'm sure that uh, she won't be eliminated anytime soon. But there's always that threat, and uh, we had Daniel Estulin coming out earlier this year and saying that uh, that uh, Papandreou had been threatened uh, for daring to offer the Greeks uh, an actual referendum on their crisis, their uh, their debt uh, bailout. Which occupation is without risk? Yes, well, no. exactly. Good point. All right, Werner, thank you so much. We have another caller on the line, so let's uh, go over to Arthur from Georgia. Arthur, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, bro, man. What's up? Not much. How are you doing? Oh, you know, uh, well, these people. <laughs> My God. You know, I remember, what was it back uh, about late spring last year? Do you remember that the story that broke about the lady who had made the threat to kill Obama? They were all over that woman like ugly on a big, hairy ape. I, I don't remember the story specifically. Do you remember where that was? Oh, God, I don't remember where she was, but I remember it was something that had to do with she had called the FBI. Yeah. And had made the threat on the phone. Right. Do you no, it happens story? all the time. It happens all the time. There's always stories about people, even leaving comments on blogs or whatever, and the, uh, the Secret Service will track them down through their IP address and will go visit their house, and even right. if it's a seemingly innocuous comment. So it happens all the time, but apparently if you can write an op-ed proposing it and uh, nothing happens. Well, look at the source. I have to ask myself at this point, well, actually, I don't have to ask myself because I already know the answer. The actual question, I believe, should be directed at Washington. Are you guys that much of a coward? It this makes you wonder. It just shows everybody who's willing to openly look at this objectively who really is running this show. Well, how how can it possibly be that they're just looking the other way when absolute outright uh, violations like that are taking place? So yes, certainly there's uh, there's no doubt that there's an absolute uh, hypo hypocritical blind spot uh, to put it mildly. But you're exactly right on that. All right, Arthur Werner, thanks for the calls. And uh, after the break, we'll be back with James Evan Pilato, FoodWorldOrder.com. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Okay, welcome back, friends. We are here on Corbett Report Radio on this Thursday evening, and as is our want on Thursday evenings, we're going to switch gears entirely from talking about the world news to talking about something closer to home for all of us, and in fact, something that's in all of our homes. Of course, the one and only essential ingredient of life, food. Food and drink. So we're going to switch gears and talk about food world order with our good friend James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, FoodWorldOrder.com, CyberspaceWar.com, HolyHexes.com, and NewWorldNextWeek.com. That was a mouthful and a half. But James, thank you so much for coming on tonight. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. I always appreciate it. Yeah, well, I appreciate having you here, and I appreciate the uh, the stories that you're always lining up, which are sometimes empowering and and hopeful and. And just such great stories to, to go through, and then other times really quite disgusting. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be starting off with one of those, if, uh, if I'm reading this right. So uh, what do you got up for us? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always go that way, does it? This was, you know, like many things, I'll, I'll collect my stories and kind of bookmark things and, and put them away. And this one, you know, was a headline that was immediately eye-catching. And I just kind of thought it was a silly, weird regional thing. But then as the couple of days went by, it started to blow up. I was like, oh, then it's a large story now. I take it from naturalnews.com, but I have added links in from, you know, Washington Post, LA Times, just all around the world as this story has legs, if you will. Feed us to feed us. Oklahoma senator says no to aborted fetal cells in food. And the naturalnews.com story, like they do so well in so many ways, breaks down what the real story is. In order to simulate various flavors in processed foods, some food manufacturers are actually using aborted fetal cells to test and produce these artificial chemical enhancers that millions of Americans consume every single day. Concerned about the ethical and moral implications of such a process, Oklahoma Senator Ralph Shorty has introduced new legislation to prohibit this practice from occurring in his home state. Cinemex, S-E-N-O-M-Y-X, a California-based biotechnology company that specializes in food flavorings, in developing food flavorings, is one such company that uses aborted embryonic cells to create isolated human taste receptors, which are used in the production of food chemicals. And this company has partnered with several major food manufacturers, including... Kraft, Pepsi, and Nestle. The senator was quoted and interviewed by KRMG News Talk Radio, where he said, quote, there's a potential that there are companies that are using aborted human babies in their research and development of basically enhancing flavor for artificial flavors. What I'm saying is that if that does happen, then we are not going to allow them to manufacture it here, end quote. James, the article goes on to, of course, note that while aborted fetal cells are not necessarily in the final products made by Pepsi, Kraft, or Nestle, such cells appear to needlessly play a part of the production of artificial flavor chemicals used by these companies. And since there are viable alternatives to this questionable practice, Senator Shorty and also Children of God for Life, a pro-life watchdog group, and others are calling for it to end. James, where on earth would you like to take this discussion story? Uh, I'd like to take it to the moon and leave it there. But um, since we can't do that, um, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, we, with this story, I, I saw this from, I, I don't even remember, I, I think I sent you a link because I'd seen it, but you'd seen it independently. Whatever link I'd seen from some whatever mainstream news source I was looking at it had said uh, something to the effect of how, oh, well, this is... Uh, 
really what this is is uh, just this crazy uh, Oklahoma senator who says he doesn't have any proof that this is actually going on, but he wants to make sure it stops. And they kind of portray it in that, well, this is kind of kooky, isn't it? It's just just someone who's just making uh, political hay out of uh, out of uh, straw. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make any sense. But um, but uh, so I I actually fell for it. I mean, even me, a seasoned uh, news veteran here, who's uh, who doesn't believe anything that they they say or write in the uh, corporate horror media, I was thinking, oh, okay, well, you know. It is kind of a silly thing, but maybe, you know, there's the possibility. But then reading the, the information you have up here, it, it actually is used in the production of some mm-hmm. of the, the flavors. It's just not directly in the product itself, which, uh, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling that this is going on. It, it really is, and that's, I think, in so many ways, and I think what, you know, what we try and do, and I think hopefully, you know, at my best, what I strive to do is kind of show the, you know, the story behind the story. So it was, this reminds me of another Another big news story that kind of played out here in the States today. I don't know if you caught it, James, where Obama had that run in with uh, Jan Brewer, the governor of Arizona. And it's all about I saw the headline, you know, kind of pointing at him. And they had this heated exchange. So, of course, it's all about this photo and this heated exchange. And, oh, you know, who was disrespecting who? But the real story is ultimately about he wants amnesty for millions and millions and millions of illegals. But she wants to secure the border. So it's one of those stories of. We're not talking about what the real story is. We're just kind of talking about the shows surrounding it. So this is like, yeah, like someone would say, I want to put forth legislation that, you know, makes it illegal for dogs to marry cats. It's like, well, is that really happening? Uh, no. So it's just this silly, you know, silly thing. But like you just said, this really is happening. Natural News provides the links to other stories and you can read about some of the chemicals. And they also note that Campbell Soup used to be a Cinemix partner until, again, the aforementioned pro-life watchdog group contacted them about the fetal cell issue, and they stopped doing it. So that's another example of so many ways if we actually contact food places and basically say, I'm not buying your crap anymore, they'll, oh, God, I'm sorry. And they'll, a lot of times, kind of rush to change because they're beholden to their shareholders. And whatever flies, you know, they'll continue to do. But if the people aren't buying it, Either you know metaphorically or, or physically, they'll they'll change. Absolutely. Well, that's that's our only our only effective weapon is just not to take the uh, the crap that they're trying to feed us. And um, in this case, I think there's a pretty good reason not to do it. Um, uh, yeah, just absolutely mind boggling. And at any rate, this really this really kind of then opens up the specter of all this. I mean, we're. T- <laughs> In a way, are we kind of talking about cannibalism? It starts to get into that realm of like, oh, this is like some kind of, you know, dystopian novel, and it's the idea. So that's, again, in the news and in the in the media when we kind of watch things. You know what movie it reminds me of? <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> okay, I won't. Soylent Green. Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> See, but then, okay, so I mentioned that, you know, a month or so ago on here, but here, here it is, and I didn't have to go, you know, digging and, and trying to stretch and contort to make connections to that you really don't i mean it it is sci-fi nightmare and uh, unfortunately we're living it but as you say we can't change it so speaking of food waste ah uh, and and again this uh, i've got a great flashback reminder for folks but this comes from business week which is of course bloomberg and again these are all posted on foodworldorder.com and again james will always provide all the show notes and, and links and things Food waste denounced by ministers as almost one billion go hungry. 
food waste was denounced by farm ministers and policymakers gathered in Berlin as almost one billion people in developing countries go hungry. Consumers in rich countries dispose of 220 million metric tons of food waste every year, equal to the entire food output of sub-Saharan Africa. Jose Graziano da Silva, the Director General of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, which, of course, is at FAO.org, and he was telling 64 other agriculture ministers meeting in Berlin over the weekend. The flashback that we provide, James, goes back to May of 2010 on foodworldorder.com and, and comes from the San Francisco Guardian. California throws away enough food to fill 35 stadiums a year. I believe it's the Staples Center that they actually compare it to in Los Angeles. Vast amounts of food trashed despite incentives. And the reminder that I add at the top of, of that posting, I believe I, I, I paraphrase from who I seem to uh, kind of always say, cryptagon.com. Keep this story in mind the next time you hear Bill Gates talking about, we need genetically modified food to feed the starving world. Yeah. Yeah, let's not look at fundamentally reforming the system so that we don't have this ridiculous situation where one part of the world is wasting 35 stadiumfuls a year of food and other parts are going hungry. No, let's not re reorganize the system at a fundamental level. No, let's just find better ways of growing crap that people don't need that'll make them sick and ultimately infertile. And that's exactly what the GMO agenda is all about. And, uh, and uh, again, it's just... It, it, it's, it is the definition of insanity, and we were touching on this last night, and Werner from New Brunswick called in, was talking about um, fish that was being uh, fished in off the east coast of Canada that was being shipped to China for processing and then shipped back to Canada for consumption, which is the, just the absolute craziest thing you could ever think of doing, but uh, but because it makes economic sense, it suddenly makes sense. So, um so absolutely, there's something that, that needs to be done about this. And once again, it's something that we have to, we have to do for ourselves. And, uh, and I think we're, we've all been guilty of, of wasting some amount of food at some point. But, uh, but I think when you put it into this perspective, it just, it really makes you stop and think about the, uh, the wasted, not just the wasted food, but the wasted opportunity, the wasted economic uh, opportunity everything here is just complete waste and it's been engineered into this system the way it is i <laughs> you kind of remind me we were out with some friends last week and there was just you know they didn't finish their food and you kind of look at it just like look, look at all that food you know i'm going to eat some of that right now and yeah i'd like a box i'm going to take the you know the rest of that home and even kind of tried to you know kind of prod them and say you know, baby Jesus cries when you waste it. <laughs> you know, to try and kind of guilt them a little bit with humor and to at least plant that idea of just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Look at, you know, look at all that chicken. Look at all that salad you still have left. Those kind of things, like we just said last week and, and pretty much runs through everything. You know, the real the real revolution ends at home, in your kitchen, in your, in your medicine cabinet or on your dinner plate. So, James... Well, luckily, this, my wife doesn't allow me to waste food, so... Just See there, and that's yeah, that'll work. That that's how you do it. <laughs> so this, James, I think segues again quite well, and we take this from the old gray lady, the New York Times. Wary Japanese take food safety into their own hands. Critics say farm and health officials have been qu too quick to allow food to go to market without adequate testing, or have ignored calls from consumers to fully disclose test results. 
And they say the government can no longer pull the wool over the public's eyes as they contend it has routinely done in the past. Since the accident, the government has tried to continue its business-as-usual approach of understanding the severity of the accident and insisting that it knows best. But the people are learning from the blogs, Twitter, Facebook, that the government's food monitoring system is simply not credible. And that is an economics professor at Keio University in Tokyo. One result has been a burst of civic activism, rare in a nation with a weak civil society that depends on its elite bureaucrats more than citizens' groups, to safeguard national interests, including, of course, public health. No longer confident the government is looking out for their interests, newly formed groups of consumers and even farmers are beginning their own radiation monitoring efforts. And the article goes on to discuss all these sort of, you know, independent radiation, you know, monitoring setups, the Geiger counters, of course, posting everything online, sharing your information, collating it with other people, either in your region and James, as we've now been discussing for nearly one year the citizens adding in all this information so you know people putting it up online so we can look at what's going on here in portland or up in canada or in michigan or in virginia or or everywhere else exactly right and i guess i'm uh, i'm living proof that that the japanese are getting more wary in uh, in what they choose to eat if if i can be counted as japanese for the purposes of this article at any rate um certainly uh, myself and my wife have been as I've said many times, very, very careful about what we're buying and where the, uh, the vegetables source from, which uh, we've never really, I mean, you've never really thought about until, until you have to go through something like this and like, oh, that's coming from the eastern part of the country. I don't want any of that, so we'll, we'll forego that. So we've had to forego uh, onions and potatoes to a large extent this year because they all source from the eastern part of the country. But um, it's it's very interesting and and something that a lot of people may not know they've got these uh, these labels that they're putting on certain produce and vegetables that uh, that have this uh, this mark and when you see that mark it means it's it's part of it's been radiation tested it's it's okay and so my wife sometimes tries to slip something by me with one of those oh look it's got the mark and I'm like I don't care I don't I don't trust it as far as I can throw it it's not worth the paper it's written on basically so um so I think unfortunately a lot of people probably do believe but um, but less and less people are believing just whatever the government says, especially in the wake of all of the things that have come out recently about Fukushima as we went over on New World next week yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I mean, this I can't really imagine, I guess, as, as just you were kind of talking about that, you know, because it's one thing for me here in Portland, which which I said, you know, I think is fortunately a little better, a little well along becoming a little more, you know, food, you know, sustainable within your your own area. So even just trying to think of like, oh, well, I don't want to do that because it's from further away. It might even still be organic. But, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, being local can be more important than, than being organic. Of course, they're both important. But I can't even imagine having that come into play as well, you know, of looking at, you know, oh, well, you know, that comes from, you know, Michigan or Connecticut or somewhere. And I want to get something, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest to have to go, through, you know, and 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 deal with what with what you're dealing with there. I'm glad they even labeled that here, though, because they they certainly wouldn't in Canada, as far as I can remember. Anyway, it's been several years since I lived there, but I don't think they tell you what province it comes from or anything. So, so it's amazing they do label it to that extent. But then it's also the question: Can you even trust that in some of the main like mega supermarkets that uh-huh. you know I, what they're doing? <laughs> we've we've made the the, the somewhat obvious discovery just the other day, I guess, in thinking about labels and reading the, you know, the, the fine print, as it were. You know, we enjoy 
San Pellegrino, you know, sparkling water in the glass bottle. It's, you know, it's nice. It's refreshing. It's, it's, it's carbonated. You don't, you can get that kind of, you know, bubbly fix without going to soda. But of course, you know, we kind of looked at it. We were like, wait a second. It's distributed by the, you know, North American division of Nestle. It's like, oh, well, let's scratch that one off the list. It's like, how can we can't continue to buy that? There you go. Shall we purge? We shall purge the January 26th binge and purge lunch change in single strains. I think the main one, James, that I want to mention, and again, for folks, if they're going, what on earth are you talking about? (laughs) On On the website, generally when I reach the Thursday, because I do my live show Friday mornings, generally when I reach Thursday, if I haven't posted things up as their own individual posts, I just kind of slap them up at a, as a big list of headlines and, and call them a, a news purge. But the main one on the binge and purge here, 32 million reasons to cheer the USDA. As grist.org notes, there are 32 million reasons why the United States Department of Agriculture's new school meal standards are good news because that's the number of children who participate in the national school breakfast and lunch programs in the U.S. who will soon be served far more nutritious and hopefully delicious school meals. Announced by First Lady Michelle Obama, who was instrumental in getting the new rules written by ensuring that the Healthy, Hungry, Free, Hunger-Free Kids Act passed in 2010 and it updated meal standards in spite of last-minute meddling by Congress. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Well... But, uh, you know, what can you say about this? There's too much to say, so perhaps we'll come back and say it on the other side. We also have a caller waiting on the line, so we'll go to that call. But let's uh, just take a short break. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, and here we are just wrapping up with James Evan Pilato of Food World Order, and we were just talking about a uh, grist.org uh, article, 32 Million Reasons to Cheer New School Lunch Rolls. I have a lot to say about this, but James, what's your take? I, you know, in a way, it's like, well, of course we can do these things. Of course we could easily feed and clothe and educate, you know, and it would be, if we wanted to do it correctly, we could do it, but that's not really on the agenda I think this is just another thing that, that again, you know, what is school but 15 plus thousand hours of conditioning and that can throw them some bones and say, oh, look, you know, they're eating a carrot, so everything's yeah. okay. And we were able to stop, the, you know, those pesky Republicans because it's always framed in the false. Exactly. Right. Exactly right. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that certainly, you know, government could do that. It could do so many things, but of course it doesn't because it's controlled by the interests that created it. And uh, absolutely, they don't care about your kids' health, so the, any good that they're doing out of this program is going to be uh, tangential. It would be much better to do the, institute this kind of thing on a local level through volunteerism and charity. But uh, at any rate, uh, we do have a caller on the line, so let's go to Michael in Washington. Michael, you're on the, on the air. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to sp- speak with both of you guys again. Uh, you know, I, listening to all your stories, uh, James Pilato, um, and, and I saw, I discerned a thread, and I, being kind of a philosophical type myself, I think it's this. The modern world is based on an ideology we might call scientism. And this 
scientistic ideology premises itself on a universe that is born of chaos and random events. So if you have that model in your mind, that this is reality, that we're, it's all a matter of energy exchanges, then why not use aborted fetuses in your breakfast food? Why, why worry about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked? Because we're all just random events, you know. We're just biological constructs uh, in the midst of chaos. But if there is some intrinsic transcendental order to this world, then life itself has intrinsic meaning, not imputed meaning, which means we can no longer live as consumers in a consumerist paradise because there's something else going on here than producing goods and consuming them. That is a deep thought for a Thursday evening. Uh, James, your take. I, you know, I just, I, I started to think of, and, and I've mentioned here before that, that I work, I work at a pretty cool independent grocery store here in, in the Pacific Northwest. But I've even had conversations with a couple of people who I know have kind of progressed, progressed along and they've, they've obviously been starting to do more and more homework that they kind of said to me, you know, well, gosh, you know, I love shopping at this store, but I think as time goes by and the more I learn, the, the less I'm going to come here. Even though we're, you know, we try and be as part of our mission to be better and to be more community oriented and we have great gourmet local raw foods, but the more you learn, yeah, and she had it exactly right. It's just like, yeah, you're going to have to do it more yourself and, and stop being less of a, of a consumer. And again, I'm not preaching from some high horse like we say all the time. It's like, this is, this is as educational to me, you know, first and, and hopefully for, for everyone else as well. Agreed. And on the uh, more metaphysical, physical, philosophical side of it, uh, I don't know if, Michael, if you've read Martin Heidegger, but I believe it's Heidegger who came up with the idea of science converting the world into standing resource and how that uh, changes our perception of what the world is and how we relate to it. Heidegger also said the most important philosophical question is why there is existence at all. Exactly right, and unfortunately not a question that we're going to get to the bottom to bottom of in the last few seconds here, but Michael, thank you so much for your call. Please call in thank again you. anytime, and uh, James, uh, thank you again for all the Food World Order headlines, and thank you to everyone out there for listening, and uh, let's do it again tomorrow night, same time, same channel, and I'll be here. James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Thank you once again. Until tomorrow night, take care, and thanks for listening.